Welcome to the Black History Toolkit podcast with Abu Bakr Madan Al Shabazz. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I was asked by the Islamic Society to speak about the life and struggles of Malcolm X. And I think it's an important subject for this and what he actually did for civil rights and mankind as well. Now, one of the things I want to emphasize is that Malcolm was a Muslim first and foremost, and we talk knowledges and what he did when he came back from Mecca as far as as far as his dawah was concerned, yeah, of calling people, white as well as black, to this faith. One of the things that struck him when he went to Mecca, you know, months before his death, was the unification of the unity of humankind, which he had never experienced in America before, in all the time he lived in America. Because as we know, America was under racial segregation, and I'm going to talk about some of these issues as we go along. So I just lay that at the foundation. So the first thing I'm going to look at in my presentation this evening, I'm going to give a little summary of the social, political, and economic situation of black people. Then I'm going to look and then I'm going to assess Malcolm's childhood, what sort of America did he actually grew up in. I'm also going to look at his transformation, his transformation from a gangster into a Muslim. And I want to emphasize this point as well, because what I've noticed since I've become a Muslim, when I was, before I became a Muslim, I've been a Muslim approximately 25 years now. And one of the things that I've noticed is how the Muslim population within the prison system is increasing, and how many of the young boys from our Muslim communities who grew up in Muslim families now have this gangster persona. And I want to emphasize this point because Malcolm was a reformed character, okay? When he came out of prison, one of the things he tried to emphasize was the importance of what he used to do and he no longer does and how he tried to reform his society, how he tried to reform his community and how effective he was in doing this. Malcolm was gifted with many, many different things, especially as a presenter or as an orator. Malcolm was able to take the most complicated situations and simplify them. He was able to speak to the rich and the poor simultaneously, the strong and the weak simultaneously, as well as the educated and non-educated. This is something which is quite unique for him as a leader. Right, let's have a look at the social, political and economic situation. Now, as we know, since 1492, the Muslims lost power in Spain. And what we noticed in 1990, most of you were around in 1992, one of the things you would have recognised and realised how the European nations, they wanted to have their quincentenary celebration. They wanted to celebrate 500 years of their control, their rule, their hegemony, their power over the Muslims. When the Muslims lost Pawembo Abdel, abdicated from the throne of Spain, which was a Muslim empire for nearly 800 years. It was at this particular time when we, did, we hear about the likes of Columbus, where the European nations, at this particular point, the Catholics, decided to take over the world. Within two years after the Muslims were taken out of Andalusia, many of them were actually brought to the Caribbean islands. Those who couldn't go back to places like Morocco and Algeria in 1492, when the Inquisition was on, Many of them actually ended up in places like the Bahamas, Jamaica, and these were Muslims. These were Muslims who originally came from Spain. This was long before they even went into West Africa. So we asked that to see within the Western world that Muslims were already involved. 
We even have historical evidence to go back to the 8th and 9th century of Muslims actually going into the places like the Americas. North America, South America, Central America, and the Caribbean islands as well. We know that Muslims already mapped the world. We know they were teachers with circular globes. We know this history was around that particular time. But at this, at the, at the end of this epoch, Muslim power started to dwindle. European nations started to inherit all this wisdom and all this knowledge. They saw masses amount of land they wanted to cultivate and they use a particular group of people to exploit, and this becomes the downfall of African people at this particular time. Usually when we look at European history, usually you'll find they will start off their history, they'll usually start off their history round about the Dark Ages, but they'll never mention the Muslim contribution to science or world, world culture. Other things you'll find is that Muslims actually written out of the European contribution to society and civilization as well. Okay, so all of this is linked together. Now, one of the things I want to emphasize here, when black history is looked upon, it's looked upon in three particular perspectives. A catastrophic view, a contributionism view, and this is one of the main views that came in the 1960s. When black study programs started in America in the 1960s, they wanted to make sure that race, as well as class and gender, was things which were going to be discussed within the within the university campuses. This is one thing they wanted to do. And they wanted to emphasize the fact that African people came from high culture, high civilization. This is one thing they wanted to emphasize. So, and you've got the survivalist approach. And the survivalist approach is usually the approach when you look at the likes of Malcolm X and Martin Luther King. How destructive elements took place with our stay, our occupation within the Western world, and how we were able to survive that. There were many, many slave rebellions that took place at that particular time. The first major rebellion, the first major revolution that took place was in around about between 1512 and 1517 when Muhammad Sambo. This was the first revolution. This was a Muslim, this was a Muslim revolution against the Spanish or the conquistadors. This is long before the American Revolution of 1776. So you can see when Muslims or Africans were in the Americas, they were still recording their history. And how long this history has literally been written out of the historical books. As if that the Africans that were the Africans who were actually in the Americas did very little than accept their servitude or accept their condition. And this could be nothing further from the truth. As soon as Africans got to the, uh, got to the Western world, they rebelled as soon as they got there. This is really important for us to acknowledge. Then we look at the Berlin Conference that takes place. This is in 1884 and 1885. This is when the European nations decided that they wanted to carve up the world. So approximately 12 European nations definitely got together and decided to carve up Africa, referred to as a scramble for Africa. This was because Europe at this time was resource poor, people poor, and land poor. They needed the resources, the minerals, and the commodities of the world in order to stabilize themselves and they needed these resources, minerals and commodities in order to function as an international trading link for the rest of the world. This is how this came about. Enslavement was one of the main important factors and this is really the foundation for industrialization within the Western world, especially Britain. Now what I'm going to do, I'm going to take you through a little summary of what type of society Malcolm grew up in. So America, we know about the bus boycotts which took place in 1954. 
1955, when black people were relegated only to the backs of the seats. If white people came on buses, etc., they were told to stand up in order for white people to stand up. Rosa Parks is one person who stood up against this. There was a bus boycott which lasted for over a year, and then they had to change their policies in places like Montgomery, Alabama. So we start to see civil change, social changes taking place within American society. Because Malcolm didn't come from a vacuum. There were many, many different civil rights leaders that were available at that time, trying to make many, many changes. And Muslim organizations were very, were very much part of this experience as well, where they were saying, just because I'm a Muslim at this particular time, it doesn't mean that I'm exempt from the oppression of European hegemony. And this is something that Malcolm was trying to fixate itself on. Then we got the bus boycotts. That came later. Like I said, that lasted for the year. Okay? This was a way of trying to bring integration about within American society. Because as we know, that American society was stratified on color lines. Black people can go into particular places, like public places. We know that lynching had proliferated, especially since the 1880s. We know in 1865 that the American government had passed the 13th Amendment in order to abolish slavery. But part of that basically said that if any black person in America is held in the Union, they, it, it, would be a, it would be associated with the prison system. So slavery was actually instituted within the prison system. This is how they got around that. So slavery was not necessarily abolished in 1865. In 1867 or 1868, they passed the 14th Amendment, which meant that African Americans had equal protection under the law. This was the first time they were recognized as citizens in America even though they were there as early as the 1500s. So these are, basic, these are basic facts that we need to acknowledge and understand. How people from this country, from this small island, went, occupied Spanish lands, took it over, united, built the Union, which was united, which we now call the United States of America, and what type of oppressive elements they were dealing with within that particular continent. We look at the freedom rights. Now, one of the things I want to emphasize here as well is that you're seeing something which is quite unique in the 20th century. You're starting to see where youngsters and teenagers now, black as well as white people, are trying to make those major and mega changes within society. Black people have been oppressed for over two to three hundred years within the United States of America itself. And every time they wanted integration into the society, it was not accepted by the federal government. Every time the federal government was asked to step in and also make their life a little bit easier, yeah, they rarely did anything to try to uh, slow down the negative forces which was annihilating African Americans within that time. Because you know about what took place with the lynchings, There's, especially in the southern states, where black people were hanging from trees. We know with the, the mass amount of incarceration which was taking place. This is the type of America that Malcolm is growing up in. And he would be tainted by some of these realities as well. Now, when they talk about racial segregation that was taking place in America, there was also racial segregation here, which a lot of people don't know. We know about the Racial Relation Act, which was passed in this country in 1965. The Racial Relation Act, which was passed in 1965, was to allow black people to country, yeah, as immigrants, to work in this country, certain access into certain places. Black and brown could not go to hotels, cafes, restaurants, you know, holiday resorts, seaside resorts, 
nowhere like that. Like, you know, they couldn't even go to cinemas, dance halls. This was a fact up until 1965. They can come over here to build property, but they couldn't live in those properties, okay? This is reality. And then we didn't see the Equal Pay Act for blacks and browns until 1975, 1976. Because even when it was passed for women in 1975, it never extended itself to black and brown women until 1976, 1977. So the hypocrisy that took place in America, the same similar hypocrisy was happening here. Because white supremacy, which was established in 1865 after the American Civil War, is an international or global system. And this is something that Malcolm was trying to emphasize. And this was the difference between human rights and civil rights. What Martin Luther King was talking about was civil rights. Malcolm was talking about internationalizing the struggle. Because when Malcolm went traveling, he started to see that the way that Africans were treated in France were no better than they were treated in America. The way that Africans were treated in Spain or Portugal was no different than they were treated in Britain. So this is how we tried to internationalize the struggle. So this was a global kind of oppression that was taking place. And this is the sort of society that Malcolm himself found himself in because of the institutionalized racism which was within the curriculum. Even in the 1980s within the Americas, yeah, there was known as a curriculum of inclusion. In this country, we had multicultural education whereby minority groups were literally fighting to want to change the curriculum within the educational system. So whatever children went to those schools, they would feel that they were being represented, being represented positively within the curriculum. Okay? But unfortunately, things had changed in the 1980s when the government decided to take over the educational system, move from the official, official curriculum to the national curriculum, and controls the educational system in this country. And this is what has stopped multicultural education permeates within the educational system within the UK today. Because universities in America were stratified, you had black universities and white universities. universities. Black universities had to open up their own separate universities and they were not allowed to be integrated within, where black people were not allowed to be integrated in white, so-called white universities. This was very, very common right up until the end of the 1960s. So let's have a look at Malcolm and let's have a look at his life, okay? So Malcolm was born in Nebraska. His father was a preacher. Now this is very, this is very um, important because you'll find that most of the leaders that came out of America, they came from fathers who were, who were devout religious preachers, whether they were Methodist preachers, Baptist preachers, whatever the case may be, okay? And if you look at the history of America, or even the Caribbean islands, you'll find that most of the instigators for change were preachers themselves. So religion wasn't seen as a hindrance in order for social change to take place. It was actually seen as a mechanism for change. Uh, before the kidnapping of his father in 1931, so Malcolm was approximately six years old when that actually took place, he experienced two arsons. So before he was six, yeah, they got burnt out of the house on two separate occasions. One in uh, Nebraska and one in Michigan. Now, I got there, sundown towns. Now, sundown towns, there was a book which was written about must have been about seven or eight years ago, called Sundown Towns. And because America was stratified, what Sundown Towns were that if dark-skinned people were seen in any particular region after six o'clock, they would be killed, they'd be lynched, their homes would be burnt, 
This is what this is what used to take place. Sometimes the houses were forcibly forcibly confiscated off them by other white people within those within those regions. This is the sort of climate that he was under, and, and sundown towns still existed right through into the 1970s. We even see elements of lynching that took place within the American society, where particular parts of black males' anatomy was either stored in the basement or in the attic of people's houses. And even today, there are grandchildren, great-grandchildren of a lot of these people who were lynching black people back in the 30s and 40s were finding these body parts which were either in attics or basements. Sometimes they would put, they'd be put into shop windows. Uh, bird bodies would take, you know, where professional photographers would turn up to, you know, to lynchings because lynchings would be advertised in the newspaper. This is to show you the type of society that Malcolm was in, was involved in, where the federal government refused to intervene in the oppression of a particular type of people. And there was people from different religious factions trying to bring about change. Trying to bring about change. Malcolm came from, so we talk about the Sundown Towns. Malcolm came from a well-educated family. Well-educated family. Um, Malcolm's father, mother and father, Louise and Earl Little, they were part of a movement called the UNIA, which was organised by Marcus Gatt, who was from Jamaica. And it was the largest black organization of the 20th century, between six to nine million people globally. There was more chapters in places like Costa Rica and uh, Cuba than any other place in the world. So what I'm trying to show here that how the movement became more in, uh, internationalized in a sense, where Malcolm X's um, parents yeah, were heavily involved. His mother was a well-educated woman well-educated woman. Even Malcolm, if you read his autobiography, one of the things that he even said, the element of jealousy that his father had towards his mother's erudition. She was a well-educated woman. And the other thing I want to emphasize as well about Malcolm's family was that they had a love for how they looked, which was very, which was very rare in the 1930s and 1940s. Yeah? How do you bring up a child in a very hostile environment to like themselves, to love themselves? This is a sort of hostile environment that he grew up with. But he was able to bypass that to, to, to a large extent because of the constant education that he had coming from the home from both his parents. He did really well in school. He wanted to become a lawyer. And when he expressed, when he expressed um, himself to his teacher that he wanted to become a lawyer, his teacher told him that he was going a bit too far with that. To be a dark-skinned person, a black person who wanted to become a lawyer was not, was not being realistic. It was better for him to be maybe a plumber, a carpenter, something like that, of meaningful manual work. This is what came out of the discussion. And this was when things started to change for Malcolm himself, when he started to have a disbelief or lack of faith within the educational system. Elements of lack of faith, faith events certain white people. And then he started to rebel as he started getting older. When he became a gangster known as Detroit Red, I use because he had ginger hair, okay? His grandfather was actually Irish. And if we look at his autobiography, he talks about his mother. His mother was a product of rape, okay? 
Um, his grandmother got raped, and obviously she was a product of that. And there was a saying that Malcolm said, one of the things that she wanted to ensure when she married, she wanted to marry someone as dark as possible to wash away that disgust or that shame of who she was, okay? So even Malcolm's roots as an unstable type of equilibrium, if you, if, you, if you want. As well, what I think is important to mention as well was that Earl was considered one of the most controversial figures. They would move into particular areas where they weren't wanted or where they were disliked, and he would literally fight against the type of opposition that he was receiving from the people. This is why they were burnt out many, many times. There was even court cases where they, where they actually purchased homes in particular places, and those homes were taken off them because those homes could not be owned by so-called coloured people. So this is the type of environment that Malcolm himself found himself in. These are the sort of things that established itself in the early 1920s. Now, Marcus Garvey at the time, yeah, he was in Britain, he was in America, he was in the Caribbean Islands, was trying to bring about international change. There was only two countries in Africa which were independent at this particular time. It was Liberia and Ethiopia. Every other country in Africa was under European hegemony or colonization. And Malcolm and Marcus Garvey wanted to, wanted to involve the African nations in trade. This is what he wanted to do. Okay, in 1921, when Marcus Garvey went to the Americas, around about 1917, 1918, yeah, he used to pack the halls, etc. He had particular slogans. He wanted to see some major international changes take place for his people globally. And some of the things that came out of Malcolm X's teaching and Malcolm X's experience, the element of self-reliance. The movement was self-reliance, which meant they had no external bodies supporting or financing their movement. The Marcus Gav, they talked about independence, they want to see independence for all African countries, all African countries irrespective of the religious affiliation. Black is Beautiful was one of the slogans, was one of the major slogans that was said at this time. And he had a magazine as well. And one of the things I like to say about the magazine, it was the only black magazine in the Western world which did not allow bleaching creams and hair straighteners to be advertised or publicised within their material. So it was a case of trying to love and to acknowledge who you are as a person. This, is, this was the growth of the movement. And this movement stretched to almost 9 million globally. This is how much it stretched in such a short space of time. In 1921, we see the rise of the Council of Foreign Relations. The Council of Foreign Relations, which uh, President Obama is a member of, was created first and foremost to destroy the Garvey movement. They wanted to stop international trade between Africa yeah, and their so-called cousins in the Western world. This is what the CFR was established in order to destroy the movement. Marcus Garvey was later deported. He actually went back to Jamaica, element of disgrace, but the elements of his philosophy still existed at this particular time. We know that a member of his movement at this particular time, in the 1920s, was a person by the name of Elijah Poole, who became later known as Elijah Muhammad. Okay? He was a member of the UNIA. Okay? There was loads of members. Even the family of Martin Luther King, etc., was part of this movement. Okay? So you can see that the element of international trade, self-reliance, independence, these were sort of slogans that African-Americans at this time, or black people globally, 
wanted to bring about. They wanted to bring about these changes. Right, some of the things that affected black people in America, like I said, was poor housing, bad schooling, low education attainment still exists today, the rise of matrifocal homes, single parent households, because the amount of black males which were being incarcerated on trumped up charges. These were regular things that were taking place within many of the, the inner cities within America. Increased prison sentences, high unemployment was really, really common at the same time. And what, what America was doing at this time was open up its floodgates to European immigration to take over those jobs so many of those dark-skinned people could not gain employment. Because this is one way of trying to destroy them. And Malcolm saw this being systemic. He started to see it being systematic. It was well-planned. And these were the sort of things that he himself was speaking out against. We all know most of you, if you've seen the film of Malcolm X, will know that he was a gangster. We know that he was a pimp. We know he used to sell women. He said he sold black women, white women, too heavy he can do. He didn't care who, what he did. He was on all sorts of intoxicants. And he wasn't just selling these intoxicants. He was using these intoxicants as well. Okay? So this is the sort of life that he ended up going into. Now, the reason why he was incarcerated for eight to ten years was because of theft. But that wasn't the real reason. The real reason was because they were supposed to, he was supposed, him and his friends were supposed to have broken into a house and they both had so-called white girlfriends. And when those two white girls turned up to court, because of the so-called miscegenation laws that was prevalent within many of the states, miscegenation laws means they outlawed race mixing through marriage. This is what it was. A majority of the states were like this at this particular time especially in the 50s and the 60s, okay? What started taking place at, the, at, at this point was that the court system wanted to make an example, not just to these two white girls, but also to these two blacks, okay? And that's why their sentence, yeah, was so hard at this particular time. So Malcolm ended up going to prison for eight to 10 years, I think he only spent about eight and a little bit of years within the prison system itself. While he was there, he talked about, and if you read his autobiography, because his autobiography is something I think we should all read, okay? It's really good. It's an A to Z of his life, okay? The person he writ is a, who helped him write his autobiography, his name was Alex Haley, those actually through speaking to Malcolm X, yeah, compiling the work, compiling his autobiography, that it was that particular point of time that Alex Haley decided to look at his own family tree, his own roots, okay? And then he actually found out that he had Muslim families that went back to Gambia, okay? So this is the sort of type of people that Malcolm X himself was dealing with. He was speaking to different types of political leaders. He actually personally knew Fidel Castro, because Fidel Castro did come to America at one time, and he did not want to come to America unless he knew that Malcolm X was going to be part of his security. He said if Malcolm X would be part of security, he knew he'd be safe if he came to America. This was just after the so-called Cuban Revolution. So we start to see the type of people that Malcolm X himself is mixing with at this particular point. But while he's in prison at this particular time, he is astonished with this one particular person by the name of Bimbi, who he talks about being a walking encyclopedia, where literally every time a question, any sort of subject 
let it be spoken about, maybe knew something about it. And Malcolm wanted to be this person. This is what inspired him to become who he became. He knew political science, sociology, psychology, anthropology. He knew all these things, theology. And he was taken back by this person. Then he decided that he would, what he would end up doing in order to become more eloquent in his speech. Because he was a driver. He knew how to talk. He knew how to drive. Okay? How can he use this in order to become an empowering speaker in years to come? So Malcolm was beginning to transform himself while he was in prison. Because they say prison, a prison system is not necessarily for rehabilitation. But Malcolm X himself was being rehabilitated. But it was only through self-discovery, self-inquiry. This is what brought about this change for Malcolm X himself. So he had memorized the entire dictionary. He learned how to spell every single word in the dictionary understood its meaning, its root words, etc. This is why in the 1950s and 60s when he started speaking, people were quite surprised, especially from the dominant cause, how eloquent this person was, and that he actually received his education in a prison system. They were absolutely shocked that this is actually what happened. But this is what Malcolm himself was engaged in. Okay, he was going through this element of transformation. He taught himself how to write. Now, while he was in there, he met up with a few people who were part of the Nation of Islam at this particular time, yeah? But the people he was more in close contact with was his family members. Um, a couple of his brothers and his sister had embraced the Nation of Islam. Now, let me just give you a thing about the Nation of Islam. The Nation of Islam started approximately in 1931, okay? So it was around about the time of the Depression, okay, within America. Okay, W. Farad Mohammed, who's supposed to be the founder, he was, a, he was basically, I think he was a silk peddler. He would go from certain place to certain place to sell his silk. Now, he was from the Indo-Pakistan region. This is where he originally came from. Okay, this is where his people, his family originally came from before he went there. Now, one of the things that he experienced, because he had, because he was what, W. Farad Mohammed, but he was still seen as being brown. All he basically did was use the Varana system or the caste system and turn it upside down. That's all which he did. Came out of prison, he was eloquent, simplistic, articulate, knew how to speak. According to some scholars, they reckon that his knowledge was equivalent to four PhDs. In eight years, he acquired the knowledge of four PhDs, which is just which is totally amazing at that particular at that particular time. He had studied every cultural group that you can think of. Because you know, in order to understand a people, you must first look at their culture. That way you can understand their psychology. Malcolm knew this at an early stage. Because in order to go to these countries, he'd have to know something about them. So he, wasn't, he was not an ignorant, ignorant person at all or whatsoever. These are the important characteristics and features that not only Malcolm had, that many of us have, and many of us who don't have it, is something that we should try to attain sooner or later in our lives. In the 1950s, we started to see major, major changes taking place within the American landscape. Now, the civil rights movement was winning more and more momentum. In the 1950s, we started to see desegregation of buses. We started to see desegregations taking place within the schooling system. We started to see where 
where blacks and whites were allocated particular areas like drinking fountains and toilets, etc. All of those things slowly started to come down as a, as a result of the civil rights movement. But one of the things that Malcolm was very uncomfortable about with a lot of the black leaders at this time was that they were not internationalizing the struggle of what was taking place of black people in the diaspora. This is one of the this is one of the things, and the lack of acknowledging that black people were not considered human beings. This is why you had the dichotomy of civil rights and human rights, because what Malcolm was talking about, we need to stop talking about civil rights. We've talked about human rights, the right to be a human. Because, like I said, and most of you know about social Darwinism, etc. These things permeated for decades within the structures, the American structures, the British structures, or the colonial structures, okay? These things permeated for such a long, long time, yeah? Where they started to see certain people of African descent as being less than animals. So Malcolm believed at this particular time, yeah, there's no point fighting for civil rights if they don't see you as a human being. Because even if you are integrated into their society, they're not gonna see you as their equal. And this was very much a true case, especially when you look at the abolition movement, for instance. As soon as they abolished slavery and they wanted to abolish it as a system, the, the, when they abolished the slave trade, and then they wanted to abolish slavery, yeah, they said it was not the same group of people. It was not the same group of people at all. What I'm trying to emphasize here is that certain people who were liberals at this time would only go so far where they were still, even though they wanted to see them come out of this so-called oppression, they, thought, they still saw them better than themselves. This, is, this was a reality of that particular situation. So civil rights and human rights, and then there was integration. Civil rights were talking about elements of integration. He was talking about segregation. Why was he talking about segregation? This was the philosophy that was coming out of the nation of Islam. The reason why he was talking about segregation was because he was saying, why do you want to integrate with people who don't want you? It's illogical. If someone doesn't want you and like you, why are you forcing yourself on those people? Just be independent. And this was the philosophy that came out of the Marcus Garvey movement of the 1920s. Be self-reliant. Yeah? You don't have to you know, depend on yourselves on your own. This is what it was about. And this is what he was trying to push. Okay? And then when he started to push these different things, this is when he, he started to be seen more and more on television. People did not want to hear Elijah Muhammad speak no more. They wanted to hear more of Malcolm speak now because he was eloquent. Okay? He was able to articulate himself. He was able to speak for the downtrodden individual about the oppression of his being. This is what Malcolm was able to do at this particular point, or this particular juncture. So what he was basically saying, that integration is not a way forward. Get your own, and then if they want to integrate, because you've got the same sort of wealth, etc., as them, then you can integrate if you want, but don't, just segregate. So segregation was not a way of creating an individual state to attack and destroy the dominant culture. Because this is what the white conservatives in America were trying to say that they want a separate state in order to destroy us. They said, no, this couldn't be too far from the truth. We just want a state of our own. Because you don't want us, just give us a state of our own. You've got over 50 states, just give us one. This was his argument, this is what he was trying to say. Okay? And then he gave us the analogy of the house Negro and the field Negro. Now, when he came up with this analogy, 
in the 1950s on national television, within American psyche, where they were black, white, yellow, red, or brown, they were able to understand the, me the mechanism, the dynamic uh, of these two individuals. The house Negro was a person who loved his oppressor, who liked his oppressor, who would fight hard to keep the oppressor alive, to keep the oppressor system in existence, to oppress him or to oppress him. This